we are who we really are in the moments that we're squeezed and pressured. Like how much yeah. character do I have? How much tenacity do I have? How much courage do I have in the moments that I'm broken down and suffering and tired and sleep deprived? Like that's, that's the real measure. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. There, my friends, welcome to the Run the Riot podcast. And today on the Run the Riot podcast, we got a cool guy. His name is Jason Hardrath. He is from Oregon. He is a PE teacher, but dude is also doing some pretty awesome things. He's on a quest right now to get 100 FKTs. And as of our recording, he was at number 89. 89 FKTs. Pretty awesome. What a way to spend. He actually started in 19, but all of 2020 has been working on his FKT project. So really cool. Really enjoyed the visit with him. Dropped some good knowledge bombs, some uh, some good mindset, just things to think about. Um, he was in an accident a long time. You'll hear the whole story, but he was in an accident in 2015 uh, that uh, really debilitated him and he had to work back from it. And uh, so, so just just listen. But before we get started, I want to talk to you about some of our sponsors. First, Runner's World Tulsa. You need running gear? Go to Runner's World Tulsa. You're not near Tulsa? Go to www.runnersworldtulsa.com and uh, get in touch with those guys, man. They will help you with what you need. Um, always, always feel like I'm at home in the store. Barbara, Kathy, and those that work there. Man, they they'll, they are experienced runners, uh, and they will help you find what you need for running roads, running trails, running 5Ks, running ultras, whatever. Uh, check those guys out. They're pretty awesome. Also, the Outlaw Race Series. Man, check out the Outlaw Race Series. The Winter Rock is coming up, so go to www.outlaw100 dot com and sign up. I heard that this pretty good sign up for the the Winter Rock race, man. So uh, you might want to hurry up and and get in there. It's coming up. Check that out. But the Outlaw Race Series, man, it's also the they've got the Flat Rock Triple Crown that includes the Winter Rock. That's January second. Lake McMurtry Run, Flower Moon, Dark and Dirty, Thunderbird, and the flagship is the Outlaw 100. Now listen, the Outlaw 100 has other distances too. It has lesser distances and the 135. Uh, if you listen to last week's episode, uh, we talked to Marcus Tubbs who has won, he won the inaugural Outlaw 100 and then he won the first time they did the 135 last year. And so, uh, man, good race, good people check that out. And we're also brought to you by T8.run. The letter T, the number 8.run. Uh, check that out. It's gear for ultra runners, designed by ultra runners. My favorite product of theirs is the Commando Shorts. They're guaranteed to keep you chafe-free in an area that, guys, we need to be chafe-free. Love them. I ordered a couple more pair that should be coming in soon. Man, go to www.t8.run and uh, before you order, put in the discount code 50-RUNTHERIOT. That is the number 50-RUNTHERIOT and you get a discount. So, check that out. 
Also want to remind you to check out the webpage, www.runtheriot.run. You can find show notes. You can find links to uh, all the things. You can find a Patreon link if you decide to partner with the podcast. I'd love for you to do that. And also want to remind you to, to like the podcast, to rate the podcast, and to put a review in, man. It really helps out um, with uh, sponsorships and things like that. So if you take a few minutes, if you find some value in the podcast and just, just do that real quick, man, I'd appreciate it. All right. Well, let's get to the show, man. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jason Hardrap. All right, Jason, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, it's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> hey, man, th- thanks so much for, for, for joining me and uh, just looking forward to exploring all the fun you've been having this year. It's, it's been, a, been a year for you, huh? It has been a wild ride, for sure. Yeah, you know, for for most of us, it's been a year of uh, canceled races and uh, some disappointment. And I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this webpage right now on the fastestknowntime.com. And uh, man, you made lemonade out of lemons for 2020. Man, you have been FKT and out the wazoo, <laughs> and you don't look tired. So I don't know what's up. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I guess. I guess I came into 2020 with exactly the right mindset and exactly the right sort of skill set already in place. I'd kind of made the decision in 2019 that I was going to try to go a whole year without paying for a race because I'd paid for races since 2003. And I was like, I'm going to make this the first year I don't pay for a race. And so Uh I went strictly out for FKTs in 2019. And I did like 24 or 25 of them that year. Um, And then 2020 rolled in and everything went crazy and it was like all right i guess i guess i'll just stay on this wagon i'm already on and just keep crushing and i'd already developed a notebook with like 140 150 different things in the sort of fkt world i either wanted to do or create myself um because i'm a mountaineer and a rock climber as well um so kind of things that brought those worlds together um and so yeah i just I just went to work on the list. Uh, when, when everything got shut down, I was like, all right, what are the things on my list that take me to places where the prevalence of the virus is really low and that there aren't tapped out hospital, uh, you know, the hospitals aren't tapped out. And so just started chasing things in the backcountry. You know, one of the nice parts about the FKT lifestyle is oftentimes it takes you far away from everything. Yeah, and I noticed a lot of mo. I mean, most of yours this year are unsupported. You have a few supported, but most of them are you know self-supported or unsupported. So you just out there by yourself doing your thing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, man. Just just me and nature, and uh, maybe a few water bottles dropped here and there. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's like heaven, man. That's that's good stuff. So, so you've done um, how many so far this year? This year I have done fifty six. Wow. Wow. I guess uh, you're a PE teacher. Am I right? That is correct. OK. All right. So we'll get back to that in a little while because I definitely want want to hear. Uh, I have questions. So but but uh, with COVID and everything, um, I mean, I guess this year uh, doing things remotely and everything else just lended itself perfectly to having more time to be able to do these things. Right. So there there have been some weeks where I was able to work remotely. Okay. Uh, 
and actually kind of get away. But a lot of people have thought that like, oh, you're a teacher and you're teaching remotely. So you've been able to go wherever you want. And I mean, as much as you and I know, like, and if you have a friend that's in the technology industry, they know you can work remotely from anywhere. Yeah. The scholastic world, especially in, in, you know, secondary education and in primary education, like it's very traditional mindset. So oftentimes I still had to report to the building, even if my students were all just turning in, uh, like remotely. Yeah. Um, so it's not been just a free for all to travel. I've had a few weeks where they've let us do that, but for the most part, they've wanted us to report to the building, whether we're doing hybrid, we, we, I'm in a very rural school. So for a lot of the years this year, we did hybrid learning um, where we have half the student body in at a time. Um, and then just recently with the uptick, we've had to go back to, uh, uh, comprehensive distance learning. But again, I have to report to the building. Um, yeah. So it, I'm still I'm still like most people just out road warrioring hardcore <laughs> yeah. on the weekend. And then I get a 10 day Thanksgiving break and a 10 day spring break and a two week Christmas break. And then my two month long summer. And that's where I really you know, hammer. the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm IT director for uh, for a private school. And so we're kind of in the same boat. We're trying to do in-class learning and, 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 you know, hybrid and, you know, all that stuff. So I understand a hundred percent having to, to be there and, you know, I, I can do a lot of things remotely, but most of the, I, I've got to be there, you know, to help and, and facilitate what you guys are doing. So absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. So yeah. So just weekend road warrior getting at it, man. That's, that's Mondays. You must be kind of tired on Monday, man. <laughs> my, my, my humorous favorite hashtag is uh, hashtag Mondays are for recovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not I like it. I like it. I understand man, 100 percent. So um, so you live in Oregon, which I, I saw that and I'm just jealous right off the bat. I'm, I'm from Louisiana and I live in Oklahoma. So um, my my uh, I guess vert is limited. <laughs> Elevation is limited. Um, So how I I didn't count or anything, but you were able to knock out a pretty good amount kind of in your, you know, within pretty good driving range out there, I bet. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I did some I did quite a few road trips that were eight hours each way, but a lot of it was kind of in my backyard kind of stuff, you know, within three or four hours of driving. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right near a lot of the Cascade Volcanoes. I'm right near some awesome rock climbing spots like Smith Rock. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not too big of a jaunt even to like get to Yosemite or Death Valley to, to find some of those super classic lines. Yeah, yeah. So what's the longest uh, FKT you have on here? Longest FKT ever. Uh, 2019, I did the Oregon's five highest on foot. So the five highest mountains in Oregon and connecting them all on the PCT. So it's the Three Sisters Mountains right there near Bend, Oregon. Each of those stand about 10,000 feet tall. And then you hop on the PCT and run about 30, 40 miles-ish to get to Jefferson, the second tallest, which is about, uh, let me see if I can remember right here. I think it's 11, somewhere right near 11,000 feet. That one's slipping on me. Um, And then get back on the PCT, run another 50 miles or so. Well, no, probably more than that, more, probably more than 50 miles on that stretch, um, to get to Mount hood, the tallest in Oregon. And that one's 11, 250. So 
Jefferson must be just under 11. I'm misremembering. But yeah, so the five tallest, it's 145, 146 miles of running and some heinous number of vert somewhere like that. <laughs> I was, I was going to bet you it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome man that yeah so so that that's that's uh i didn't even i, I didn't look at that one but uh that's that's more than a uh, <laughs> more than a 24-hour jaunt <laughs> uh yeah i think that one i was out there for three days yeah nice. wow so okay and i i understand the mindset, you know, I understand trying to go out and conquer these things and that, you know, that's why I'm trying, you know, going out and doing 200 milers or whatever and doing all these, but I get asked this question. I have a friend who, when I post, you know, that I just finished a hundred miler or a race or whatever. And he always, he always posts in all caps with a bunch of question marks after it. Why? <laughs> so, so, so why, you know, why? <laughs> You know, and I, what's fun is I think I think I get that question even from people who do like hundred milers and stuff. They're like, they see my list and how many I do back to back, and they're like, "But why?" And you don't uh, get a buckle, man. You don't get a buckle for these. <laughs> there's no medal here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, there's no beer at the finish line unless you bring it yourself. That's right. Um, so I don't know. For me, the the why is both simple and complicated, right? It always is. Um, I love, I love the outdoors. I love pushing myself. Um, ever since I was young, I've loved pushing myself. And so the blending of pushing my body as hard and far as it'll go while being in some of nature's most beautiful spaces and facing whatever challenge is naturally available in that space, whether it's, you know, glacial travel or, or, you know, steep snow travel or, rock climbing, like whatever an area brings that it's renowned for being able to show up and go, okay, I'm going to go push myself up against that. Um, and sometimes like I've had the privilege with like the Yosemite picnic effort that myself and a buddy created, um, it's modeled after the grand Teton picnic, which is basically a self-supported triathlon. You bike in, you swim across a lake to get access to a peak, you summit the peak and you reverse it all to get back to town under your own power. (laughs) Um, and that's the grand Teton picnic is exactly that you bike out of Jackson, swim across Jenny Lake, summit the grand Teton, and then reverse it all back to town. So my buddy and I are like, oh man, we could do this in Yosemite national park and make this beautiful, like multi-sport you bike from the base of El Cap, just staring up at that beautiful iconic piece of rock. You bike up and you swim across Tenaya Lake, which swimmers, it it became known to me as I researched this swimmers show up to Yosemite just to swim that lake. Cause it's like one of the most beautiful lake swims in the world. According that, to, yeah. according to swimmers, I didn't know that cause I'm not yeah. very much into swimming. I swam because I was a triathlete and okay. that's about the only reason why. Um, yeah. And so swim across this lake and then you do what's called the Tuolumne triple crown, which in itself is something that's famous. It's like this easy, moderate rock climb. I think it's five, seven at the hardest. And there's like a mile long razor ridge that you go across called Mathis Crest. You also do Tanaya Peak, which is this massive slab climb. And then Cathedral Peak, which is like alternate between crack climbing and these nubbins. Um, And so just this amazing, iconic climbing in this beautiful setting. Um, And then you go reverse it all back down and finish at the base of El Cap. Um, Just this perfect day in, in Yosemite. So like experiences like that, that that's a memory I now have of doing those things. And those are skills of mine that I spent years building up years, Mm. like acquiring and, and fitness that I spent years acquiring and to be able to blend that all together into one effort. 
oh man, like to me, that is like the perfect day. And so I guess that's like the simple way of saying, what is my why? I want to go find more of those moments where I Mm. feel like I'm engaging the fullness of my skill set and the fullness of my creativity. Well, you put your head down at night after a day like that and just like, yeah, boy, I did something. You know, it's like, (laughs) man, and, and, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I I shared with you before we started recording. I, uh, you know, went never been to Utah, went and ran in Utah. I'd never been to Tahoe when I did the Tahoe 200. And so I went uh, and um, to segue to your latest FKT, I had never been to the Grand Canyon and we went. Got there one evening or afternoon, saw it, got up at four o'clock the next morning and and ran the traditional rim to rim to rim. And it was like it was one of those days, man, where, you know, when I got back and done, it was like, yeah, that's living, man. That's that's just good. You know, Um, your latest FKT, you just did the the alt route for the rim to rim to rim. Tell me about that, man. Oh, man. I mean, like you said, anytime you visit that canyon and 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 this goes I mean, there's a reason we call these places like these places world class places. Right. I mean, yeah. You, people come from all over the world just to have any sort of an experience, even just to stand at the edge and look at it. Yeah. And as an athlete, to have a chance to go push your body in a space like that, that people are willing to fly thousands of miles, spend hours on planes and hours on buses just to have a look at it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you're in for an amazing day. I, I, I used to humorously say, but, but also seriously, like I'd trade all my medals for the moments you get to have mm-hmm. in those spaces, whether it's a mountain or, or a canyon like that. So, so that's the setting right from the get go, a setting, yeah. a, a place that just naturally puts you in a state of awe. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as compared and, and different to the regular rim to rim to rim route, now you're bringing in this route finding skill set because the Bass Trail system, it it's not clearly defined. Like there's times it's just like boom disappears. Oh wait, no, I'm back over here. You know, oh I'm up on this ridge now. Yeah. Uh, and so you kind of have to be able to have a strong sense of route finding, how to follow, you know, uh, GPS coordinates and know when. Kind of have that sense of when. Oh wait. I need to check and make sure I'm going the right way. Cause I feel like I've gone too far down this Canyon or I need to be up on that Ridge. Um, so definitely you have to bring a, a route finding skill set to that route. So like this awareness and sort of almost getting this intimate understanding of how that network, um, that pathway through works. Cause it's not clearly defined for you. Um, and so in a way it's like a, it adds this intimate, this intimacy with the, the Canyon and moving through that terrain. Um, it's not necessarily present on a clearly defined trail. And I think clearly defined trails are beautiful too, because yeah. it allows you to sort of let your mind notice more of what's around you in that like yeah. free sense. But there's, I don't know, there's something about knowing like, Oh wait, I need to turn here. Yeah. Um, when there's no marking to indicate you need to turn uh, that, that I love as well. Um, so that's a part of what this rim to rim alt is. The other big part that, um, anyone who's heard of the route knows about because it's, it's the thing that probably makes it most famous is you swim across the Colorado river at the bottom. Oh, and, I didn't realize that. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. There's no bridge. <laughs> okay. I saw, I think I saw a picture of one of your guys. You were one of the other guys, the guy you were with uh, stripping down or something. That makes sense now. <laughs> yep. So no bridge and it's a swift water swim. Um, okay. that water's moving pretty fast. And it's about 46 degrees year round. 
Um, so it is a cold swift water swim. And if you miss your exit points, you might have a class four or class five rock climb to get out of that water. Um, because it's kind of, kind of cliffed out on either side. Um, so it's like this kind of high stakes swimming, you know, and it's only, you know, you're only going to be swimming for maybe two minutes, um, maybe a little bit more at most, Yeah. but it's like two minutes of this is really, really freaking cold. I can feel it (laughs) pulling the heat from my body and holy crap, don't miss my exit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, Intense. That's intense. So yeah, definitely high stakes swimming. So that's the thing that makes the route sort of super iconic is facing that. Cause I think we all have this deeper instinctual fear of water than, than most anything else. Like most humans have some discomfort with deep open water where you yeah. can't see the bottom. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's true for me too. There's like that pops up as I come down to the water. It's like, Oh boy, here we go. Yeah. Get, you know, put the head down, get focused, swim through this. Um, yeah. But yeah, such a cool part of the route to like come down and interact with that natural element. And that's what I mean. Like when I talk about why I love these things so much is what a one, one of a kind experience, right? You're going to run down in the Grand Canyon and then there's a river that flows through that Canyon. So you're going to swim that river. Yeah. Um, And that adds the element of like, oh, I need to know what flow rate the river's at. So I'm not like swimming it at some insane fast you know, time of the year where I'm going to get swept downstream no matter what I do. Like, you know, you have to know, you have to have a little knowledge of what you're getting into. And and I love that element of these, these types of efforts of understanding, well, what is it I need to know about the route before I even go? Yeah. Well, with that, okay. So how, how steep is, is that route or sections of that route compared to, you know, your bright angel, your, your North rim and everything. So, uh, I believe if I remember right, when you run regular rim to rim to rim, you're looking at about 48 miles. Am I correct there? That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you do, if you do North Kaibab, South Kaibab, uh, on both sides there. Um, so with the rim to rim to rim alt on the bass trails, you're looking at 42 miles instead of 48 and you're starting on the South rim of the bass trails. You're starting at about... I want to say you're about 5,000 feet, a little over 5,000 feet above the river, which is a bit lower than where you start on the Kaibab. Gotcha. Um, but I think you go a bit higher on the North Rim because you're above, you're more than 7,100 feet above the river on the yeah. North Rim. And I think it's a bit less than that when you do uh, the North Rim of on the regular rim to rim route. So you've got similar gain overall, similar loss overall in fewer miles so that translates to steeper yeah um, but not not like crazy steeper yeah yeah so how did you guys because when we did it okay we 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 had to do a lot of planning yeah so we had to do uh you know remote planning trying to figure out you know because uh where we could get water um you know of course we had to visit the ranch and everything else and so um you know for for this one it's it's what are you doing for water, man? How are you? Are you? Are you? Did did you guys filter or what did you do? We filtered. Uh, we okay. each carried one of the uh, Catadyne B Free uh, bottle systems, yep. um, which are a really simple system, great to use, game changer for efforts like this. And then you know you kind of lean into your community around you. The FKT community is uh, usually awesome people who are willing to like beta spray as much as you're willing to ask them. Yeah. Um. So we kind of asked the people that went before us, like. 
where, where did you fill water? Where wasn't there water? And um, on that route, there's pretty much no water anywhere on the south rim uh, going down or coming up. Uh, but on the north rim, you have about three or four different places where you're along flowing water that you can filter from. Um, but you definitely want to be filtering that water. So all these FKTs that you're doing and you're doing them pretty, pretty rapid to get so many done this year. Um, you know, I know the planning that goes into, uh, even just, a, even going into a race where you've got aid stations and you've got, you know, you've got support and all this help. Um, man, how are you, you know, doing all these things and, and, uh, how much planning are you doing? I guess, cause you're, you're having to be efficient. You're trying to FKT a lot of these. And so, um, you probably just spent a lot of your evenings planning this out. I would imagine. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, when people ask, like, uh, I have this, uh, you know, a lot of people know, I call it the, my journey to 100. Like I, my goal is to make it to a hundred different FKTs and, you know, when people ask the why about that, it's, it's because I want these experiences. I want to have a lot of these experiences, yeah. but it's also what I love. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's sort of this element of self-awareness that's part of my why, where it's like, I know I'm a person that's not going to be a Jim Walmsley. Like I'm not going to go break any singular record and have it be like the world elite. Right. And I also know that I have a pretty resilient body. Like my body tends to take a lot of abuse <laughs> and, and not get injured, you know, knock on wood. That's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not that fast and I have a body that takes a lot of abuse. And then I was the ADHD kid that could never sit still and never focus <laughs> on anything yeah. except the things that were my passions. I could hyper-focus. And like, yeah. I think about, I used to build with Legos. I used to create things with Legos and I would just, my parents would like leave me sitting there and come back six hours later and I hadn't fed myself or drank any water. I'd just been building nonstop. And yeah. so I have this like the psyche where I can like really focus in on things that I love. And it, it almost takes no effort, no willpower to like sit down and go, oh, I want to know more about this or I want to know yeah. more about that or I want to go plan and be in this space. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I do spend a lot of my time planning. It is a process. I do think I've I've streamlined the process where I can kind of because of like the number of experiences and skills that I've racked up in the outdoors um, throughout my years prior to FKTs and then even with prior FKTs themselves that process gets streamlined for me in a way. Cause I don't have to necessarily prepare for certain details, um, as much as someone else might, that's having a first time experience. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a part of the process is like actually doing the route research and actually knowing what you're looking at on a topo map and, and knowing where to look and, and what to Google and, and who to ask to get the right answers about places and situations you might get in. Um, yeah, because you don't want to throw yourself in something where you you don't know what you're going to face. And I throw myself into a lot of really technical spaces because that's what I love, whether it's glacier travel or, like I said, rock climbing. Recently, I've gotten more into canyoneering with some of my efforts, um, which has been kind of a beautiful part of the process. Is like I don't know if I would have ever gotten into canyoneering, or at least not at this young of an age. Yeah. Um, but now because it's like, oh, that's a cool new opportunity to mix new skills into these things. Yeah. Um, let's let's go hunting down how to how to become a better canyoneer and how to better understand and research canyons. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's been a big part of this journey to 100 is sort of knowing the why of what I'm doing, um, you know, making those memories, being creative, like putting these routes out that I'm proud of. And yeah. that other people are going to do them and, and be super stoked on what, what I found or what I created or what I linked up. 
um, but, and, and have that, having that feel like a contribution to the community that uh, all these years that I've built up skills and fitness and all this research I've done and like, here you go, here's, here's something you can now try whoever comes after me as opposed to the mindset of like, Oh, I just want to be the fastest. Yeah. Um, uh, but contributing something that other people will get pleasure out of chasing speed records on in the future. And then, I don't know. I kind of knew from the outset, as soon as I, the decision solidified in my mind, like, Oh, I'm going to go for a hundred. I knew I was creating, and this is why I use the word journey. I knew I was creating a journey for myself where I wasn't going to be the same person when I mm. came out the other side. Right. Like yeah. I, you know, in a game where the times constantly get faster and more people are doing it. And so the, basically the, the, the game gets harder to play the longer you play it. Yeah. Um, I was going to have to develop as an athlete, both in my skills and my strengths and in the horizons I was looking to, like how I was expressing myself as an athlete, you know, uh, from just being sort of a run plus mountaineering to into being a run plus sort of free solo slash hard scrambling um, kind of link ups. And then into this run plus canyoneering stuff, like I've had to evolve and and learn skill sets for being in deserts and being in the cold and being on, you know, controlling your mindset when you're out on the rock hanging by your fingertips and, you know, making smart decisions while fatigued and sleep deprived on, you know, crevassed glaciers, you know, all these all these mixed things that have become a part of who I am and how I process the world now. Um I knew it would create, and I like to, I like to think of it as like blurry targets and bright, bright lines, hmm. um, sort of how you, you define what you want more of in the world and then actually get there. I think oftentimes we paralyze ourselves when we sort of look at like, oh, I need to know exactly what it is I want to do. I need to have a really specific, well, sometimes you just have an idea of what you want more of in your life. Hmm. Um, yeah. And if you pick anything that's within that blurry target, that's in the direction of that blurry target, that's going to essentially move you toward more of that in your life. Yeah. And, and the closer you get to a target, the more you're able to more clearly see the bullseye. Yeah. Um, and then the bright lines come in. It's like, what are the rules you set for yourself that are actually going to keep you going in that direction? And FKTs gave me sort of these lines, these parameters, like here are the rules that FKTs play by, you know, you, you have yeah. to verify, you have, it needs to be a route that other people are going to want to repeat, mm -hmm. which is already something that, you know, was a part of what I was doing before I even knew what FKTs were. Um, like I wanted to find those aesthetic lines. Um, and like it, you know, it, it gave me that blurry target, like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue more of, of these memories, more of these experiences, light and fast. I know I love pushing light and fast. FKT is a great expression of that. Yeah. And then I've been able to find more and more clear things that really fit my style. Um, whether it was the picnic triathlons because of my background as a triathlete, or the infinity loops because I love climbing glaciated volcanoes and just being able to like experience a full circumnavigation, seeing the mountain from every side and climbing and descending different sides of, of the mountain, like a super intimate way to really get to know a mountain in like a single hard push. Yeah. Uh, so I was able to find more of like, wow, this is exactly what I love um, in these spaces because I started moving toward it. Even at the beginning with just kind of a rough idea, like, oh, I like these sorts of things. Let's see what we can find that's out there that yeah. involves more of this. Um, and yeah, I guess it's almost kind of turned into a, you know, maybe like imagining forward to someone else who sees what I'm doing and maybe some young athlete who comes up to, to blow me out of the water. It's, like, <laughs> it's created a sort of rite of passage, right? Like, 
Yeah. If some kid comes along to recreate and like explode what I've done, because I again I don't see myself as some super athlete, someone will be able to better it. But if they go through the process to do 100 of these things, they will be a different, more well-rounded athlete when they come out the other side of it with a different view of, of, of the world around them, because yeah. that's what it did to me. And that's kind yeah. of a cool thing to think about too. Like, huh, I'm leaving behind something that's going to leave someone better off for having tried it. And they're going to have to be a crazy person, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but some people, that's what they're looking for. I mean, if it, if it's what's engaging me with the world and making me happy, someone else will find a similar happiness in doing their own version of this. And that makes me happy to think about. Hey, my friends, just going to pause real quick. And I want to remind you that Runner's World Tulsa, that awesome store I talked about in the beginning, is having a race into the new year on December 31st. It's a 5K, but man, what a way to run in the new year. Um, You start running and the new year ticks off while you're running. And from what I hear, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a party. It's a chip time race. Starts at 1145 p.m. And unless you're really, really, really fast, uh, you'll be running the race into the new year. It's healthy. It's fun. It's safe. It's family oriented. Uh, just a good way. There's going to be noisemakers, uh, all kind of fun. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be a good time with good people. And, uh, you know, we're runners, man. So what a way to bring in the new year with running. So check that out. Go to www.runnersworldtulsa.com and click on the events button for info. Man, so yeah, so you've you've been on this this amazing journey, and you're at 89. Do, I mean, let be honest. Are, are you gonna? You think you're gonna be able to stop at 100? I mean, come on. <laughs> no, because probably while I'm out there on my hundredth one, I'll spot a ridge line that I'm yes. like, oh, that one looks super great. I wonder what what the like if anybody's gone hard on that. Like, oh man, that looks like a sick ridge link up there. Some rock climbing. No, uh, I'll probably keep going. They, one of the things I always like to say is you know that you're aligned in the world with what you actually love when you want to celebrate doing the thing or having done the thing by doing more of the thing. And you want <laughs> to celebrate good, having man. done the thing by doing more. <laughs> and that's good. how I, I feel about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. I love that. I, that's, I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> uh, well, so um, you, you, in, in these 89 that you've done so far, and, and so I'm a, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a runner. I haven't done a whole lot of climbing. The one time I did was uh, I lived in Hawaii for a year, and uh, I had a pretty scary moment climbing um, poly notches. Uh, some guys asked me. They knew I was a runner, and he's like, hey, come come to this unsanctioned hike. And I um, got on this little ridge, and it's, I don't know, pretty – 500 foot, 600 foot drop behind me. I'm on this little, and I've got to pull up. It's volcanic rock. I've got to get up here and going backwards is just as hard. And I kept my cool. But then I, at one point I looked down and I, my hand started just shaking involuntarily. And I was like, okay, that's not good. <laughs> so finally I just went for it and got out. But that's my, that's my scary moment with, uh, you know, with a lot, I've had a few others, but that's my scariest moment where at night when I laid down, I was like, man, I could have just, I could have died. You <laughs> know? It was bad. But uh, did you have you had any moments, uh, you know, during the during these FKTs where, you you know, you're out there mostly by yourself? So, oh, am I still with you? Yeah, you're with me. I got you. Okay. Uh, So usually during the efforts. I've rehearsed I've rehearsed the technical sections pretty well. Um, That's one thing I love about this lifestyle as well. And I think that's been kind of a beautiful thing to have injected into the running world because oftentimes in the running world there's not much of this 
rehearsal culture. Mm-hmm. A friend and I were just talking about this. Um, it's not common for runners to go like rehearse something before they really run it. You just kind of go run it, whether it's a race. I mean, maybe if it's your key race for the year, you'll go uh, do some pre pre jogs on certain sections of the course, like how big is this climb and how technical is this trail? Um, but there's not much of a culture of it. And with right. FKTs, it does kind of force runners into this space of like, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to have to like rehearse this thing. So I know what I'm facing and I'm gonna have to go out and check the conditions. Like, is there still snow on the route in you know June or do I need to go in July? Um, so you kind of have to go out and get to know the space. Mm. Um, so oftentimes, almost always ahead of time, like I've rehearsed the route or I've rehearsed enough stuff exactly like it um, yeah. that I know what the rock textures are like and what the holds are like. Um, but that being said, like, yeah, there is this headspace of, you know, being out there. And, you know, one of the routes I did was basically 1500 feet of five, six route climbing. I mean, you're out there and like, you're very aware that it's like, okay, if I mess up, like it's maximum consequences. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's no way I come out of this either. If if I do end up alive, I'll probably wish I wasn't anymore because of how (laughs) maimed I'll be. Um, And so there is this, like, you do face those fears, like the hand shaking, the feet shaking, and probably more so during the preparation, like, because I intentionally try to imagine myself when I'm rehearsing, like, okay, what will it be like? How will I want to move through this if there's no rope protecting me? And so I'll kind of force myself into that headspace and, like, leave enough slack in the rope um, that it doesn't feel like I'm, I'm supported in any way. And, yeah, like, learning to work in that headspace where you do feel that sense of instinctual fear. Um, but that heightens your focus. And so when it comes to like the true effort, I feel like that's what I like to think of it as the best way I can conceptualize it and put it in words is like this silence. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you kind of get that in running by itself when you go out and you've run a certain number of miles and you kind of get in your groove, especially if it's like kind of a tempo run or something. And you're in that sweet spot where the fatigue hasn't started racking up yet, where you're just in pain but you're just flowing and everything's just kind of quiet in your mind. It's just you and your body. Well, it's like that, but turned up to 11 when you go out and you're on a rock climb. Cause it's just like, you're feeling every little texture of the rock. You're, you're feeling every movement of your body. And like, uh, it's just this flow state for sure. But a lot of rehearsal and a lot of discomfort comes on the front end to get to the place where you have that flow state in spaces like that. And I think that process is something I'm in love with um to go from the one to the other yeah i i didn't realize uh well, i watched uh, alex honnell um you know his his uh, uh documentary on him climbing el cap and I, I didn't realize the i mean he knew every everywhere his hands were going to be his feet were going to be all the way up you know and had i mean and, and that just blew my mind it was kind of programmed and and so you say that makes sense you know why wouldn't you do that if you're trying to fkt an area you know you want to be as safe and efficient as possible so do your homework (laughs) yep they both go they both go hand in hand you know speed speed is just an expression of efficiency right yeah so so yeah and then i think whenever you make something more efficient you're also in a way making it safer you know there's there's a saying in light and fast mountaineering that uh speed is safety And I think that to a degree, it's safe. Like if you're roped up to a team on a mountainside and you're traversing a glacier and you've got, you know, 30 pounds of gear on everybody's back and everybody's winded because of it. 
and some rock fall starts coming down at you or some ice fall, like that's going to be tough to like maneuver and get out of the way. But if you're a person that you've gotten your fitness to a place and you're, you're, you have your gear dialed to a light enough load that that same rock or ice fall starts coming down, like you just literally run out of the way. (laughs) Um, and if you're, if you're packing 30 or 40 pounds of gear running out of the way, is not a possibility. Yeah. Um, or if you're just not fit enough to, to move faster than a slow walk at those elevations, that's not an option. Um, so I don't know, like, it's interesting to see how these things all tie and weave into each other, mm-hmm. um, in these different outdoor spaces. Yeah. Have you had any of your, uh, your, your existing, uh, FKTs while you were doing them? Um, ha- did you have any that you had to go back and do again or that you maybe failed on first attempt or, um, I think I've definitely had, I've had about eight or nine different routes that I've failed on now. Okay. Um, some of them I'm still pending on going back to retry. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I've had everything from, you know, gear failure where both my spot tracker and GPS watch failed on the same, um, outing. That's terrible, that man. Like really frustrating, right? That hurts. <laughs> uh, so you check the one and it's like, Oh, well at least I have the other one. So like this effort's going to count. Yeah. And then you look down at the other one and it, it ends up breaking later on too. You're like, well, there's no reason to be out here. Anymore. <laughs> That's not true. There's always still a reason. It's just like, I can't continue in attempts to break this record because to me having verification for it's really important. Like I don't want to be yeah. the person that just comes in and I'm like, yeah, I did that this fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you have anything to prove that? <laughs> yeah. Um, <My> so <laughs> yeah. So I, on that route, like my heart was broken because it was one of my big routes for the year. Oh, uh, one of my big attempts for the year. And it was just like, well, this was the only weekend I could do this. So I guess it gets moved back to next year. Um, and then I definitely, I had routes that took me longer to rehearse, to get to a place that I thought I could attempt. Yeah. Then I thought like I had to keep going back and going back and like rehearsing the different moves and the routes and be like, okay, wait, no, this, this does go. Yeah. Um, especially with those ones where it involved like rock climbing off of a rope. You know, there'd be times where I'd show up and be like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. And then finally I'd find the right sequence where I'm like, oh, that feels super solid. Okay, I could I could definitely make it through this sequence off of a rope. Um, yeah, and I'm definitely not climbing anything nearly as hard as Honold climbed when he did what he did, like not right, even right. in the same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, this is the, the, the principles, the rules are still the same. Yeah. Like you have to have a certain sense about what you're doing that's kind of, you know, in part rehearsed and learned and in part like this sort of gut feeling where you just know like, yep, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred times I could pull that move. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of rehearsal goes into that for sure. And sometimes you're out there day after day and you know, weekend after weekend, you're like, I'm burning a lot of time on this and I don't know, (laughs) I don't know if I'm ever going to get that a-okay from my mind and body where they say, yep, this goes. Um, and yeah, it's an investment for sure. So but usually by the time you're attempted it, you, you've got, you know, a level of confidence that, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, you know, you know, ready to, ready to kick it off. And, and so it's not, you know, you, you've minimized your, I don't know, I guess chance, if you just go out there willy nilly and like, I'm going to get FKT and just do it. It's, it's yeah. If you've done your homework, yeah, I mean, you've got a pretty good idea. Yeah. In the same way, like a road runner would know that oh yeah on this flat course i can average 520 mile pace right that's a metric and we can get to know ourselves we get to know ourselves really well with certain metrics you know and runners and mile pace they can average on flat ground is something they know pretty well i also know myself on 
um, how many vertical feet per hour I can climb in both fresh and fatigued states. Yeah. Um, I know myself in how quickly I can ascend, uh, pitches of five, six rock climbing in a fatigued state. Um, I know myself in how fast I can bike over whether it's, you know, certain percentage grades or on flat ground over given distances. Uh, I know how fast I can swim given distances on smooth or rough water. So it's like these different, you get to know these different metrics about yourself. And so as I look at these FKTs, I can go, okay, you know, this one has, you know, say like mountaineering up a mountain. It's like, okay, the mountain's this tall. Um, usually my average is, you know, this number of feet per hour. Okay. I can climb the mountain that fast. Uh, usually I'm able to descend in, you know, you know, half or, you know, a third of what my climbing time is. Okay. That's how long over the mountain takes. All right. Now we're on to like the trail running portion. And then you just start, you know, using your different metrics to map out what you're capable of and you go, okay, on a, on a really golden day, I could hit this time. Mm. Um, and if that, if there's wiggle room with the current FKT and the time those calculations point to, you can bet I'm on the road to go tackle that. FKT. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you're while you, and while you're doing this, while you're on this, this, this adventure of getting a hundred FKTs, you're learning more about yourself. And, um, that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, FKTs, ultra running, you you learn a lot about your what you're capable of i don't know physically and and mentally you know um you know what it's going to take you know you're going to hit lows you know you're going to dig yourself into a, a a mental emotional hole but you also know that hey i can come out the other end and and keep moving you know it's pretty pretty awesome <laughs> to get to do that I, I, that's one of the most beautiful things about this and i mean as a physical educator a pe teacher yeah, I I'm a firm believer in education through the physical with how mm -hmm. I teach as, as opposed to just education of the physical. Like I don't just want to teach skills. I want to use those sports and and the emotions that come with, you know, fatiguing a human body and yeah. facing the different types of feelings that can happen when you try to strengthen yourself or you try to perform well and learn lessons about life from it, learn about mm -hmm. ourselves from it. Yeah. And you know, oftentimes, even as adults, even as ultra runners, we like talk about getting in the pain cave and you hear people all the time when they get into the pain cave and they're in that state of suffering, like they just want to start thinking about things that are outside of that pain cave, of that suffering. Mm -hmm. They want to be like, oh, beers at the end, burgers, you know, this or that. It's like, no, 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 don't like, don't try to like run away and escape. Like you, you worked really hard to get into this, <laughs> this state, like find out what you can learn about yourself. See if you can learn, see if you can set up shop and decorate the place. Like, you know, my, my <laughs> I like it is like, is done up as a man cave now. Like it's, it's like home. Um, you know, it's familiar. It's like, ah, here we are. Um, like one of my favorite little phrases to myself is it doesn't start until it gets hard. Right. Like I'm just mm -hmm. having fun. I'm just goofing off during those like first 20 miles or whatever. Like nothing's even happening yet. Um, I'm just out for, for giggles. And then yeah. when you start to have to like, okay, now it's getting hard. Like, okay, go. now yeah. let's now, here we go. Exactly. That's the mindset. Um, yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot to be learned. And I mean, maybe I'm a little biased because one of my mentors at a very young age, uh, said this quote to me, he said, human beings are like a tube of toothpaste. You find out what's inside when they get squeezed. Mm. And that just stuck with me. Like, oh, we are who we really are in the moments that we're squeezed and pressured. Like 
How much yeah. character do I have? How much tenacity do I have? How much courage do I have in the moments that I'm broken down and suffering and tired and sleep deprived? Like that's, that's the real measure. And I you, love that, man. I love it. <laughs> you don't want to run away from that. Like, right. You know, being yeah. out there, one of my, one of the most meaningful experiences that's happened to me, you could even call it a, on a spiritual level was during the Rainier infinity loop, which is 136 miles and two trips over Mount Rainier. Right. Wow, um, yeah. So over 40,000 feet ballpark of 40,000 feet of elevation gain, I think 44, maybe. Um, so heinous number of miles, heinous yeah. amount of distance, technical terrain, you know, there's glaciers you could drop a bus into and, and wave the bus <laughs> goodbye. Um, crevasses that is, um, yeah. So it's like this real experience. And I remember coming into the second night and knowing like with how my body was moving and how slow I was moving, that's like, okay, I'm going to have to go this second night without sleep in order to guarantee that I get in under the current standing record. Like I just need to go without sleep. Yeah. And I had this moment as I was out there pushing into the night where I just tears welled up in my eyes as like, I had this profound realization, like, we use all these words to describe great human values, you know, like, like courage or, or tenacity, like I've mentioned. And that's the one I had the experience with was the word tenacity. Like mm. this is it. Like, this is what tenacity feels like. This is what, this is what it is to embody that word. Like I am doing that right now. Um, and it was just a profound thing to like have that, like, in the moment realization of like what you're currently doing as you're in this state of like massive suffering. Right. Um, but you're like, this is what that feels like. This yeah. is what that looks like. And that's why I say like, don't just try to rush out and escape mm -hmm. from the experience. There, there might be some, some huge value for yourself hidden in there. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. And, and, and I, embrace the suck is one of the, you know, just embrace it. That keeps coming to mind, you know, embrace that and, and, and learn. I, uh, when I, I think I did the, uh, when I did the Tahoe 200, my wife was crewing me and, uh, we had a conversation. Uh, it's pretty funny about, she said, man, some of these runners, man, they're treating their crew like garbage. And, you know, we're all tired. We're all just exhausted. And she said, you know, you never, you better never treat me like that, but you, you never did. And I was, I was pleased that, you know, when I was squeezed, when I was at the end of myself, what came out was still gratitude and 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 thankfulness and not the the negativity because I'll hit some lows. And so, man, it was, I was like, you know, all right. I mean, I still got stuff to work on, but that's good. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, not lashing out and 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 putting my suffering on someone else, you know. And so, uh, yeah, we learned a lot about ourselves from the pain cave, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's so cool to hear. I mean. I think that's a huge thing. Actually, I just had a, a big discussion with the guy I did um, rim to rim to rim alt with, you know, we talk, we kind of debrief because we, we chatted with each other because we were on the, a couple of the same uh, teams, um, but we'd never done anything together. And so we kind of spur of the moment. We're like, we're going to do this together. And just, you know, we'd never actually met in person Oh wow! and kind of getting to go through an experience like that with another person you know, we were able to come out the other side and be like, wow, like e each to one another, like you were an incredible human. Like you stayed conscientious, you worked through and verbalized and talked through like what you were feeling and thinking and like the different, you know, urges or worries that you had, um, worries about time or route or, you know, cold or whatever, but at the same time, keeping it positive and motivating, mm -hmm. um, like 
Yeah, we both were like, that was phenomenal. Like, I'd recommend you as a as a partner for outings like this to anybody. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that's true. Like, I think it comes down to like this paradigm. I think Simon Sinek talks about this. He talks about when we're selecting people for our teams, regardless of what the teams are, you look at their performance. And that's the obvious one that comes to mind. Like, oh, man, who's the fastest? Who's the strongest? But the yeah. one we tend to not talk about as much is the trust element. How much do we trust them and who they are and how they treat people like will they actually be a team player will i feel valued will they look after the needs of everyone else on the team and i think that's what we're building in those moments Mm -hmm. where we show up in a broken state to our crew or whoever our, our our team on an fkt effort and we show up in those moments when it's hardest and we're still gracious and giving and understanding and thoughtful like I, those to me, that's, that's the true test of a, of a human being. And those are the moments where one should be proud of themselves is like, Hey, I was broken and I gave my last gel away to my partner because I knew I could push to the finish line on what I had, you know, like, yeah, right on. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah, man. And yeah. And, and it's not, um, and that's one of the beautiful things about our sport in general. Um, you know, even, even when in racing, uh, you know, trail runners, you check on each other, you know, you okay, man. You know, uh, you know, when I crashed and burned at, at uh, Moab, I had people coming by and, you know, Hey, you're all right. And, you know, we're talk, talking through stuff and making sure I'm cool, you know, and we do the same to others. And I, I just love that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's yeah, you're racing, but you're still, this a human being, you know, and you're still, you want, you want to, if you're going to beat somebody, I want to beat them when they gave their best or, you know, whatever, you know, and just where we're all doing our very best and, and Hey, they came out ahead or I came out ahead, whatever we, we did it. You know, we, we pushed ourselves to the limit and it was good. <laughs> so that's a beautiful thing about it. Yeah. yeah there's, so, there's definitely an authenticity in within running and ultra running that I don't know. I don't know if you, you get it as strongly in other sports. Cause I, there's just something so raw, like you can't fake your way through a hundred miler. Like you can't no. just keep a, keep a, keep your makeup on, keep the veneer on the whole time. Um, it's like, it gets raw. It gets real. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at keeping a game face on, but that sucker falls off after about 70 miles. It's gone. You know, it's like, <laughs> somebody's like, you look fresh. I don't feel fresh. I got that not so fresh feeling right now. It's like, <laughs> but, oh man. Wait, what has been your favorite FKT, man? What, what's your, so far, what's been the one where you come out the other end and been like, yeah, that was, that was it. Wow, that's, it's so hard to narrow it down to just one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you've heard me already chat about the Rainier Infinity Loop, and it's just mm-hmm. insanity and the, the moments I had out there yeah, on that yeah. beautiful mountain. Um, I mean, even just doing the Wonderland by itself is a magical experience, Yeah. Um, let alone climbing the mountain and climbing it twice. Um, so that one, I like. I can never stop thinking about that one. Um, yeah. But... And one that not many people know about, uh, the Red Rock Quad is super awesome. It's there outside of Vegas in the Red Rocks uh, conservation area. And you tag, it's like this run plus scramble route that you tag four of the different prominent sandstone peaks there. Super cool experience, super cool way to experience that that land and, and that rock. Um, and it's then the, the Yosemite picnic that I already talked about quite eloquently. I mean what a way to celebrate Yosemite and what it is. Um, yeah. Can't think of a a way I want to use my body to experience that park. Um, 
more than than that experience. Um, I just so realized, man, me. I'm drinking out of my Yosemite mug. I just realized it, man. <laughs> it's, a place, man. it's a special place. Yeah, it's magical, man. It's magical. It's awesome. Uh, well, so you've been doing all these things over the past past year, and uh, you've you've got a, a girlfriend, right? You. I do. Do you still have a girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Wait, let me check. Do I still have a girlfriend? I think so. Okay. She says yes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> how does how does she uh, how does she deal with with uh, you know the the busyness of uh, of FKT land? Uh, well, that's I mean that's kind of the beautiful part is we kind of built the foundation of the relationship around that we both love this stuff um, and. She's actually rattled off. She'll soon rattle off her 40th FKT herself. Right on. Uh, so we get out and we do this stuff together. We support each other. She does her things. I do my things. We try to like find efforts in the same area. So I'll do my thing. And when I'm, you know, like recovering from that, I'll like support her. Um, or we'll just both go at the same time. I mean, we've, we've been known to like run the same trail uh, on, you know, that we do trails that often, but I can think of one where we did a trail route out in the Warner wilderness and she started from one end and, uh, I started from the other and like we crossed paths in the middle and then, then went out and I drove back around to pick her up. Um, and so we just make stuff like that work to go chase these cool spaces. Um, and it's awesome having a partner that's willing and wanting really to, to be out in these spaces herself. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I guess I'm spoiled. I yeah. mean, I, I def, we definitely put effort into it on the front end, like to find someone that was interested in the same thing. Um, yeah. and that's definitely paid out to, to have an adventure buddy for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Cause one of the things that, because we, our sport is so extreme is to, to find balance, you know, um, because we've, you know, we got to work, you've got, you know, if you family and relationships and, and all that, and man, if you've got, you know, like my wife, she, she'll crew me, she does some running, but she's not an ultra runner or anything, but it, it's, you know, that they can be a part of it, man, because we love it so much that we can have our loved ones be a part of it, man. It's, yeah, that experiencing those things together, there's no, um, there's no replacement for that, man. It's good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. Cho- choosing someone for that part of your life, if you're still in a place, if you're listening to this and you're still in a place where you get to choose who you're going to spend you know, time with as your significant other, like choosing someone that you can actually have as a, a partner to go, go, do cool stuff with, even if it's slightly different and you just have to like find your own adventures within the same space that you want to go to. Um, you know, Ashley doesn't want to do every one of these, like, you know, run plus scramble type efforts I do. So if I go do a crazy one where I'm hanging by my fingertips with a thousand feet (laughs) below, she'll go find some other mountain to run up that's in the same area or whatever. Um, and so it works even though we have a little different style. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so just finding someone that's interested in similar stuff, kind of that blurry target idea, like they're going the same direction. Yeah. Uh, even if it's not exactly the same. Oh man, best advice. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, so we mentioned uh, work balance and, and stuff and uh, you, you're a PE teacher. What grade are you teaching physical ed? I teach K through six PE. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, do you, do you run them ragged or what? What do you do? (laughs) I I do. I, I mean, I, one of the highest compliments I've ever received and I try to, I try to 
do my PE in a way that I receive it is when a kid will say, you're the hardest, but best PE teacher I've ever had, or the hardest, but the funnest. Yeah. And it's like, funnest isn't a word. Um, but <laughs> thank you for the compliment. Um, that's what I'm going for. Like, I want them to see that, that working hard and doing hard things can be fun. If you're in the right mindset, if you view it as a, as a challenge, as something that's engaging as a problem to solve as, as something you can figure out. You know, I got a, one of the first things I did at the school I'm at now is get a 40 foot wide, 12 foot high rock wall installed. Nice. So like we get to have like rock climbing experiences and kids like sometimes will get scared up there and I'll like come alongside them and I'll, I'll coach them to like find their own way down. And when they get back down, I'm like, you know, so did you, did you need my help? And they're like, well, no, I guess not. And I'm like, don't forget that. Like when you get scared, there's always a way you can think to make it a little bit better. And if you just take lots of those little steps, eventually you find yourself back in a good spot. You know, like lessons like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I feel like it, it makes, it makes what I do in the outdoors more authentic and it mm -hmm. makes me as a teacher more authentic. Cause I, I can tell them about these adventures I go do and be like, Hey, if you take good care of yourself, if you build your strength, if you build your skills, you can do cool things. And I can say that authentically cause yeah. I'm out there doing it. And I can say it makes your life happier because authentically it makes my life happier. Um, so the two, the two to me, like are almost the same. They feed each other. Um, I don't think I'd be as good of a teacher if I wasn't an outdoorsman. And I don't think I, I'd be as good of an outdoorsman if I wasn't also a teacher. Well, you, you're living life and you're, you're, you know, inspiring others to, to go out and, and live life. I mean, I tell you, I'm the IT director where I work and uh, I'm the crazy IT director who runs all these distances, but, but I love it. And, you know, when the kids see, you know, that, Hey, I've never heard of this and, you know, man, can I, can I do this? And I'm like, yeah, you just got to want it. You got to train for it and you can put the time in and we are capable of so much as, as human beings, you know? Uh, and I didn't, I didn't come to realize, you know, what we're capable of until I was an adult, you know? And so it's, man, it's beautiful to inspire young people to just think, just think 10 years from now, some of those young people that are going to be running these trails, running your FKTs, climbing and doing all that. And, you know, how fast and, and amazing they'll be, you know, doing these things. And, you know, we, they just look back at some of us old guys and we'll just be sitting back doing our thing, <laughs> cheering them on, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. It, yeah. it would be awesome to me if any student or former student of mine beat one of my beat one of my FKD. That would be the coolest thing. Yeah, uh, no kidding. That would make me happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, so you've been doing these FK. Speaking of beating your FKTs, you, you've been doing these, you know, over the since you know last year. You've been racking up all these. H how many of them have been beaten so far while you're doing them? Let's see here. I'm at 89. I think I have. The last I checked, I think I have 50 that I still have the fastest time on. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so out of the 89 historic ones that I yeah. have done the FKT on, I hold 50 still. Which I, I, I don't know, to me, for a guy that's out rattling off 56 hard yeah. efforts a year on mountainous and, and crazy terrain, like to still be holding, you know, 50 of them, I'm like, that's actually really good. Heck yes, you know? man. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, you know, because yeah. like I said, I never, I never have thought of myself as the fastest guy. So right. I'm pretty stoked. And yeah. I actually, in all truth, I've been as stoked about the ones that have gotten beaten because most, most every time I'll get some kind of a message or they'll shout me out 
in their trip report and be like, this route was awesome. It was phenomenal. Thanks for, thanks for inspiring this. I'd been thinking about doing something like this and this finally made me pull the trigger. I'm like, yes. Yeah. That's why you do it. That's it. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great, man. Uh, Well, so you've been, you've been active. I mean, you you said you used to do triathlons and uh, you've been a pretty, have you been like as a kid, were you traveling? Were you, I mean, were you hiking? Were you doing these things as a kid? So, um, my parents, like as a kid, got us into the outdoors. We did camping. We mostly like rode dirt bikes and stuff like that, that kind of family. Um, but then being the ADHD little kid, it became very apparent to me and my parents that I didn't sit still well and that moving my body was very important, uh, for, for getting anything done in the normal societal world, like school and, and, you know, family life and things. Um, so finding forms of activity became very important. So, you know, got signed up for sports at a young age. Um, one of the most distinct things that happened is I got into skating, like really, really hyper-focused into skating and would just go out and like skate all day long. You know, other kids would go become skaters to like do drugs and stuff. And I don't want any of that. I just want to keep trying this trick. And then that trick, I'd be like, all right, I'm just going to start trying this trick and just like, you know, skating like hours and hours. And so that built, I think that's what built my base fitness and yeah. that base resiliency. Cause I mean, you're throwing yourself against concrete over and <laughs> over. And, you know, the way organic beings work is when you stress something, it responds to that stress. So I was beating my legs, you know, snapping my legs, not snapping, smashing my legs into the pavement over and over again and yeah. like pushing, you know, on these ramps over and over again. So building muscular fitness, building bone density, um, building those ligaments up. So then, um, I did finally have a bad enough accident as a skater, uh, going into middle school that I broke my wrist and my parents are like, sweet, no more skating while you're in our house. You know, like here's yeah. our, here's our out. Like we can get him to stop sneaking off and skating all day. Um, so they said no more skating while you're under our roof. Um, and I got into running and because I had that fitness from, um, the sports and from the skating all day long. I was able to do pretty decent in running. And I had, I remember in PE in middle school sort of being somewhat close. I think I was running like six twenty something being somewhat close to the six minute mile range. I'm like, yeah. I want to break six minutes. Like I, yeah. I, I want to do this. And also it ended up being like the fastest time in the middle school that year. Um, and I, on the very last PE mile of the year, I ran a five fifty seven. Nice. Uh, I remember like the, you know, the, hearing the time as I cross and like falling into the grass and just being so spent and in so as much pain as, you know, that age me had ever been in. Yeah. Um, right. You know, we all know the feeling of running your hardest mile. It's like being lit on fire from the inside. (laughs) Um, And you know, that was the worst pain I'd ever experienced at that point. So I remember that feeling, but also just like this huge sense of like accomplishment and pride. And it just kind of solidified the goal setting mindset in my mind, I think, I think I was already kind of driven to focus on things, but that that's what made it sort of this goal oriented, like set a goal for the future and then work however hard it takes to make it happen. And so that led to this natural progression of one thing to another, you know, then I wanted to make it onto varsity when I ran in high school. And from that, I wanted to try to make it. And like, even if it was a tiny scholarship, just get on and actually get paid, so to speak, um, quote unquote paid to run. And yeah. so I managed to barely pull that off with a tiny NAI school um, and, you know, ran through college and, you know, just barely chased to stay on varsity all through, just worked my ass off 
excuse yeah. my life, but um, just worked so hard to barely hang on to that number seven spot on the cross country team. <laughs> yeah. Hang on to my you know number three spot for my events in in track. Um, and you know you know I, I can remember one one memory. Uh, we're like running repeats, hill repeats, like 300 meter hill repeats. And the coach was like wanting to check in with our heart rates because he'd read a book or something about like checking heart rates with athletes. He was kind of an older guy who was really yeah. old school, like just work harder, just run faster. Um, but he'd apparently <laughs> read a book. And so he's like checking in. And I remember just like profoundly being like, yeah, I really am the weakest one on this team as he's like going around and it, it's like, okay, Ben, what's your heart rate? Uh, 120, uh, you know, Beeson, what's your heart rate? Uh, 132. And he's going around and he gets to me and I'm like, 187. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like maxed out. And it's just like, don't worry about it, coach. Let's just go. Next rep. Um, and that was like my college experience of just redlining myself, like every workout to hang with these guys who were just way overpowered compared to me. That's crazy. Uh, and you know, that I, I kind of built this underdog, like I just have to outwork everybody kind of mindset. Yeah. And I think having that sort of a mindset leads you to work really hard. And I think that served me well as I came into sports like uh, triathlon after college, um, because I was willing to dig really deep into all three disciplines yeah. and just grind and grind and grind and grind. Um, and, you know, the unique thing with, you know, a, a, a multi-sport effort is instead of having to be great and, and talented at one specific sport, you can kind of be not as great. Like you can just be good yeah. at three sports. And that's, that's what I relied on. I mean, I was kind of mediocre swimmer, like slower than average swimmer, but then on the bike and the run, I was solid. And so I was able to perform pretty well as a, as an Ironman and half Ironman athlete, um, made it to a couple of world championships in the 2014 and 2015 70.3 nice. world championships, um, which was a super cool experience to get to go and compete in Canada and then in Austria. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, I don't know how much you want me to keep going, uh, after that. No, was um, yeah, I, I definitely think, wanted to talk about that because as you know, you're an athlete, that's kind of how you, you know, you're defining yourself, you're doing these things, you're finding stuff to work for. And then you got in 2015, you got in an accident. How does, talk about that. I want to hear about, you know, what that did to you physically and emotionally, mentally. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually the words you just used are so key to it. Um, you said identify as an athlete and I think something we do in this country, and I think it's prevalent in, in lots of Western cultures, is we describe ourselves by what we do. Oh, I'm a runner. Now, yeah. I mean, running is something you do. It's not who you are. Yeah. And we don't make that distinction in our language. And that might seem silly. But when you look at the psychological impacts that even small changes in language have, like, I mean, it's the difference between like thinking about the whole hundred miles that's out in front of you in an effort or just thinking about like the mile you're in, right? Like that slight yeah. change can have radical impacts on how motivated you are in that moment. The same yeah. is true with the language we use, um, with how we identify ourselves. And so I went from being able to bike 140 miles on a Sunday and get off and felt like I, I'd done nothing, uh, to not being able to drink, get my own glass of water from the sink on a Wednesday. Wow. Um, and that was how abrupt the change was. I went from doing 101 training hours 
in February to the car accident happened in May. And yeah, I use February cause it's like the shortest month of the year. Yeah. Um, and so I went from that to like, I think I'd racked up 10 or 16 training hours when the uh, accident happened in May and then didn't do another like training hour. Um, other than I, I forced myself to actually get back in the pool way before the doctor cleared me to. <laughs> So to, to circle back to like losing all of what you'd worked for mm. and, you know, we tend to, since we tend to identify as what we do, there was definitely this process of decoupling that identity, right. Mm. An identity sort remembering, no, I'm a driven, passionate person. And the way I've chosen to express that is through running is yeah. through triathlon, right. Mm. I'm still that person. And I'm still going to find a way through this because I'm driven and I'm passionate. Um, and so instead of conceptualizing, just losing like your identity, you're able to go, no, I'm still the same person. I just am either going to rebuild from the ground up this same thing again, um, or I'm going to build something new. Hmm. And I did a bit of both. And I mean, yeah, I, what was it? It was nine broken ribs. I broke my shoulder in two places and shredded the LCL and L and ACL of my oh. right knee. Um, so I had to have that knee put pretty much completely back together with cadaver parts. Um, so like pretty serious and a pretty long recovery from it. And so, you know, in the same way we have to like compartmentalize and break down our progress in like a really big race, as you know, yeah. It's the same thing with recovery, right? You bring that same mindset in where it's like, okay, I'm not going to think about, I'm not going to compare myself to my prior self. Um, I'm not going to live in my own shadow in that way. Cause that would be demotivating. You know, they always be like, well, it's not as good as I used to do this or not as good as I used to do that. Or I can't run 10 miles, you know, and feel good yet. Instead it was like, oh, like this is as much as I've walked around without it hurting or swelling or, oh, I'm able to bend it a little bit further today. Yeah. Um, Oh, I'm lifting a little bit more weight today. You know what? Like all those little micro things that when you first started in a sport, you got excited about. Yeah. Like back before you knew all of what you were capable about, you got excited on all those little steps. And anytime you have to rebuild after a big accident, it's important to get excited about all those little steps in the same way. Yeah. Otherwise you're, you're looking at it like the whole hundred miler. You're looking at all hundred miles. You're like, Oh, I'm not going to be happy until I get back to this. It's like, well, you're never going to get there because you're going to break down your own motivation and you're not going to do those little things day in and day out that get you to that hundred miles. Yeah. Uh, and so it's important to like mentally reset. And for me, it was like, I, I still to this day refer to everything I did before the car accident as my former life. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's my former life. And now I'm like, everything I've accomplished since is, is like since then. Yeah. Um, and I think making those sort of clean breaks so you can like have that, the, you can basically start from ground zero and be excited about being at ground zero. Um, and I think it's a reminder that oftentimes we get caught up again in like nouns or status or, um, you know, a friend of mine likes to say nouns and needs is what you don't want to be focused on. You don't want to be focused on like, anything that's a noun, like things or whatever mm -hmm. that yeah. you can acquire. And you don't want to be focused on needs, like just being like, I need this, I need that. I you know, need water or food or whatever. I like that. Yeah. Like if that's all you're thinking about, like you're not going the right direction.
Yeah. He says, instead, what we want to be focused on is vision and verbs, right? Vision. <laughs> and So you want to have this vision of where you want to be and you want to be executing the verbs that get you there. Um, and that, that is what leads to a life well lived. And, mm. you know, it's like a firm reminder that one of the things I reminded myself of throughout this is we never, we never own anything. We never are anything. We like to think that we've arrived at something and we have some status or that being able to yeah. bike a hundred miles or run a hundred miles is a given. It's like, no, you don't own any of that. That's like right. all of that's on loan because of the hard work you've put in Yeah. at any moment that can all be gone. And so you can't identify yourself by it. You've got to, you've got to be in love with the process. You've mm. got to be in love with all the little steps that lead you to being able to do those things. And if that's the case, it won't matter if those things are there or gone because you're still in love with the steps. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, um, I, one of the things I always tell people that's kind of right, right along the same thing until you can do what you want, you do what you can. And you know, that's, I've I've had ACL reconstruction twice on on my right knee, and so I'm right there with you, man. I, I you know I I uh I crutched into the gym and did what I could, you know, <laughs> until until I could you know run again or walk again or whatever. Um, and so uh, how how long were you like just how long before you could really run? You know, how long before you could just get out there and do anything? Just curious. Um, I mean, like I said, I can still remember the feelings of my broken ribs crackling as I swam in the pool. Um, <laughs> yeah. just put a pull buoy between my legs so that my legs would float since I couldn't kick and just pulled and yeah. you know, ribs or something where it's like, you can't make them worse by moving them. Like they're going to heal regardless. So I was like, okay, it'll just be painful. Pain is something I can do. Um, so I started swimming, uh, way more. Actually, I started swimming more miles after the accident than I was swimming, uh, before. Cause I was like, I don't want to lose all my fitness. Like I want to, yeah. I want to, this is the one thing I can still do. All right. We're going to, I guess I'm a swimmer now. Uh, <laughs> and that's probably still to this day, the most swimming mileage I've done in my life is in those weeks following, um, the accident before I could really start doing before the surgery and being able to start doing rehab on the knee. Yeah. Uh, and then, as far as the timeline after that, uh, I was able to hobble around after a handful of months. Um, I think, yeah, I think I was off crutches after a month ish ballpark. Yeah. Uh, so then kind of had to really gingerly hobble around for a while and it would swell up and all that. Um, I definitely went against my doctor's orders and I think it was, four or five months out ballpark or four or five months. Cause let's see accident was in May, early May, September is when the world championships were hosted in 2015. So when I went to Austria and I finished the world championships there, I did it with a broken body. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> I, I kind of had this profound feeling like I may never qualify for a world championships again. Like that's not it with the damage to my lungs. Cause that's the other thing that happened is I can put a bunch of contusions in my lungs. Okay. Um, wow. So it's still to this day, I don't breathe the same as I used to. Mm. Um, and I was like, all right, I might not ever have the capacity to be at a world championship again. Yeah. I am going to claim this finish. I am going to go get that medal. And so uh, oh, I had a, I had a power meeting. I, I got one of those power meters when they were first coming out at this time where you could see how much power was coming from each leg. And it yeah. was like a 70 split. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. <laughs> so I was doing like 70% of my power output from only one of my legs. 
And I, I did the swim pulling with only arms. I biked the bike uh, with a 70-30 split. And then I literally limped my way through the run, like alternating between a limp jog and a limp walk. Um, wow. And, and came through the finish line um, in under the cutoff time and, and got that got that world championship medal. Nice. Um, so yeah, it was just super important to me. It, to me, it was like this symbol of like sort of reclaiming my power. And yeah. I was like, you know, is it foolish? Almost definitely. Um, <laughs> but it was important to me at the time. And I think it set me on a pretty good trajectory to, to keep going after things I dreamed of and things I hoped for, even after the car accident put a serious dent. Cause I mean, any, any of us, and you can probably attest to this as well. When you have your first experience with your body being broken after you've had a 100% trust in your body. Yeah. And that first time your body is malfunctioning, like that's a blow to your psyche. Like yeah. to, to get back to a place where you're willing to go out and like really push into things mm-hmm. and trust your body again. Like, it's the same as rebuilding trust with like a friend that's done something to hurt you. Um, yeah. It's, it's a process. And so, yeah, it was important to me to go out and like, be like, no, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to trust myself to find a way, even if I walk every step of that freaking run, yeah. um, I'm going to find a way to get through this thing. And, and I'm going to claim, you know, this medal from potentially my last ever world championship. So that was a pretty big moment on the journey. Yeah. But as far as then, like fast forward to like getting back to where I could really run again. I really had range of motion again. It wasn't constantly in pain or swelling up. Um, it was a good year and three quarters, two years before it was like I could consistently go do big things and not have um, big repercussions on that yeah. knee. Wow. So really end of 2016 into 2017 is when, when I was able to kind of, go get out more. And I mean, I was doing some, doing some cool stuff and doing a lot of like mountaineering, um, before that, but nothing, nothing super big, nothing ultra in distance. Um, and then, yeah, 2016, 2017 is where I kind of started to discover that I loved, even though I wasn't as fast of a runner, I'm like, Oh, I'll mix these mountain skills that I've learned, um, in with, the running that's starting to come back. Cause that's basically what I did is I started hiking up and downhill Yeah. because you don't need the same range of motion in your knee as yeah. you do to be a super efficient runner. And so I was like, well, I guess I climb Hills now. And then <laughs> Hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains, those big mountains started getting technical in certain spots. So I'm like, well, I guess I need to learn to rock climb. And so, nice. you know, completely rebuilt my body and reprogrammed my skill set to be capable of pulling hard rock moves and, um, learn the skill sets around using ropes and you know glacial travel and and all these different things, and then was able to take those acquired skills from you know staying dedicated and staying pushing forward to as the running came back, go, well, now I can mix this with my running. And then um, I like to tell my students, you're preparing for opportunities you can't see yet. Mm. And then as these were starting starting to coalesce, where now I can run again, I can go out for long days. I'm nowhere near as fast as I used to be, but I can go out for long days and not have any part of my body fail. Yeah. Um, then I discovered FKTs and it's like, Oh, here's my jam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's on. <laughs> do you feel, do, do you feel, uh, do you feel the knee? I still, I, mine, uh, the second time I, I tore it, I, uh, I, I had, you know, uh, I did a number on it. I did cartilage and meniscus and all kind of other stuff, but I, uh, but I, 
I still feel it from time to time. How, how about yours? Is it every now and then flare up for you? Yep. Uh, every once in a while, there's a little bit of a catchy feeling and, and they definitely, it definitely hurts a bit more. I mean, that whole side of my body really, um, I'll, I'll wake yeah. up and it's like that side of my body's like 60 while the other side of my body's still 30. And I'm like, Whoa, what happened? <laughs> and it takes a while to like iron it all out and get moving. Um, yeah. but yeah, I definitely still feel it. Definitely still feel it. Yeah. But you know, like, like same, same way we push through and we keep, keep moving. I feel like uh, if, if I stop moving, then it'll be, it'll be worse than if I, if I, if I, you know, <laughs> to keep moving. <laughs> this book I read and in the book, the author proposes that you should never seek a comfortable life without problems because you're always going to have discomfort and you're always going to have problems. So instead seek a, a life where your problems and your discomfort are worth it. And there that's what I, I would describe this as is I'm, I'm choosing to live in a way that I'd probably be in pain regardless. Yeah. Uh, so at least I'm in pain and I've done something I'm proud of. Yeah, you've, cho- you've chosen the method in which, which you're going to be in pain <laughs> and as reward. Oh, man. Well, well, Jason, I always like to ask, um, you know, anybody I get on here, especially with, with the types of things that you're doing, I always like to ask about gear because I, I like to hear what people are using and, and what's working for, for people. And so I'm going to start off with shoes. What are you wearing when you're out there doing the FKTs and, and uh, what's your favorite go to shoe for, for stuff like this? Okay. Um, so it gets, uh, again, I mean, I mix enough disciplines that you've, okay. You, yeah. You yeah. Size fits all answer here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if I'm doing a big effort, so I think of like the Oregon's five highest where I was linking up, you know, doing these long runs between peaks, yeah. um, where it's like, Oh man, I don't, I don't want my feet to be killing me and my knees to be killing me by the time I'm like, you know, 145 miles was further than I'd ever run at that point. Yeah. Uh, plus doing all these mountains with it. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to run in a maximal shoe. Um, and I actually, I, I, I attempted to do the first three peaks just in a pair of Hoka's and I absolutely ripped the sole, the heel off of the, the sole of a brand new pair. They were like 13 miles in and I shredded oh, the heel. Man. I'm like, all right, so the Hoka's aren't really working out for volcanic terrain. <laughs> um, yeah. But I managed to like finish out those miles, swap to a, a different pair of shoes, a different pair of Hoka's for the trail run up to, um, Jefferson. Um, what did I go? No, maybe I actually, I went with a, like a pair of, I want to say Solomon's maybe, um, for the run up to Jefferson, which is a more technical peak. It actually has some fifth class climbing in it. Yeah. Um, and so had a little better rubber for those movements, uh, like a lower profile shoe where I could feel my movements on the rock better and be more confident that I had my foot in the right crack or in the right, you know, on the right hold. Um, and then after coming down from that, when, that's when I went back to another pair of maximal um, Hoka's to run the miles to Hood. And gotcha. then I think on Hood, since it's just snow covered, uh, just strapped a pair of crampons over the top of the Hoka's on the way up to tag that summit. Um, on like Rainier Infinity Loop and the other Infinity Loops uh, that I've done, I've used both Solomon's snow cross that have the built-in micro spikes and the high top. And then I also really enjoy the La Sportiva blizzards, which are kind of the La Sportiva's version of that. I think I like La Sportiva's version a little better, roomier toe box, a little bit more cushiony and still really good grip with the micro spikes. Um, And I think they're a little bit warmer too. They're a little thicker, a little warmer. So when you're in those cold conditions, your feet stay a bit warmer. 
Um, So for those types of things, that's kind of what I would use as my lineup. And then if I'm on like a run plus solo effort, I've used the Arcteryx uh, Norvan line that have, they're kind of a little bit of approach shoe mixed in with a running shoe. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've got a really good climbing rubber on the bottom, a little bit of a, a climbing edge to the forefoot. So you can maybe edge a little bit on some things. Um, and I find that the, the rubber on those is really sticky, uh, whether I'm climbing on slab or whatever. Um, I'm going to try out some Dinafit and Salewa stuff here soon. I'm kind of excited to see how those perform Yeah. for some of this Canyon stuff that I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, just some other, other, you know, mountain link up efforts I have. Um, yeah. So kind of just a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah, it's choosing it's choosing the item that's specific to perform in, in what you're on. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the cool parts about being an FKT person that sort of has these mixed specialties is it's like, oh, I get to reach into the bag and find the the item that performs best that might not perform like you wouldn't choose it for any trail race. Yeah. But for this particular FKT effort, it's like it is perfect. That's uh, cool. <laughs> part part of the planning that's part of the 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 pre pre fkt stuff you know planning it all out what what kind of um what about packs and stuff i'm sure that changes up a little bit too any anything in particular you use um i i was pulled onto the ud team for 2020 um and so i used a lot of their stuff since you know they were like hey he's doing fkts and a lot of our stuff is branded fkt yeah um so for a while I was with them and I still use their FKT pack, uh, which is kind of this, um, kind of mid literage, light, small literage, uh, bag. It's super lightweight. It's kind of like the hard rock. It's the same, uh, bag almost as their hard rock bag. I think very similar, very similar to their hard rock. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the, does the hard rock have the roll top or not? Yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Okay, so the one difference I think between them is the FKT bag has the roll top, so you can kind okay. of expand the storage out, which nice. is nice when you're going to be moving from you know three thousand feet above sea level yeah. all the way up to ten thousand feet above sea level, and those two places are very different from each <laughs> yes, other. Yes. Yes. Uh, and so it's kind of a nice bag that has just enough range that it's like even if I needed to bring like a puffy, I could mm-hmm. fit one in there. Um. And then I can also cinch it all the way down to be almost nothing. Um, yeah. So it's a pretty good pack that way. Um, and that's probably been, I've probably done more, more FKT efforts in the FKT pack than in any other, any other pack. Um, so that's probably, I'd say that's my go-to then. Um, I have used a okay. few other things in different places, yeah. um, but that's probably the go-to. Gotcha. What about uh? So you you're uh for light. You use the Kogala, right? Yeah, I recently discovered the Kogala, and I mean, they're. I know it's their moniker, but it's also what comes to mind. It's a game changer. Um, <laughs> it's. I mean, I'd used head just headlamps on really long adventures, like pushing into the night. Obviously, like when I did the Rainier Infinity Loop. Um, the start and finish are like the cascade trifecta, you know, big efforts like that, that you're pushing darkness on both sides or multi-day efforts through the night. And I mean, just staring at a headlight, headlight, a headlamp light, you can get 
be drowsy pretty quick because it can kind of start to take it out of you. Tunnel vision, but man. when you throw yeah. that, second, that second light source in, especially one as bright as the Kogala, it's like I found it genuinely. I get drowsy way later uh, mm. than when I'm just using a normal lamp just because of the brightness and the quality of the light. Because yeah. uh, theirs isn't quite uh, as blue of a light as some of the headlamps are with the LEDs. It's kind of more yellowed light yeah um and yeah i just find like don't get drowsy as early um as when you're just trying to run in the darkness with uh only only a small lamp so yeah Yeah, those suckers are bright that one's pulled me across like i used to (laughs) be such a minimalist on weight that i'm like i'm not going to carry anything that weighs an ounce more than it needs to it's like i'll I'll go ahead and pack that extra weight yeah Uh, it's the battery that's heavy it's the battery that get that gets you on that one well, and that's the thing that I realized actually is since their unit has a battery that's multifunctional, mm-hmm. like you can plug your cell phone into charge or that's your watch true. into charge. It's like with these really long efforts, I was already having to bring a battery pack to make sure I could keep my tracking charged. Yeah. My devices to track with charge. So it's like, oh, I'm already packing that weight. And their battery is actually twice as powerful. Or it has <laughs> twice as many uh, amp hours as my uh, milliamp hours, I guess it is as my previous battery and weighs less. Yeah. I'm like, this is a no brainer. Like I'm, I'm able to run my light on it and do recharges of my watch and phone, um, all from the same system. So yeah, actually it doesn't end up adding as much weight as someone might think it does. Yeah. Uh, because you're minusing that battery pack you would have already been carrying for your watch and your phone. Yeah. That's true. Didn't think about that. <laughs> now, what are you uh, speaking of watch? What are you uh, what are you doing GPS tracking with? I'm still running around in an old Garmin 935 triathlon watch from so, some of my triathlon days. Can you charge that one while you're while you're tracking? It is it is of the edition you can uh, you can okay. climb while, while tracking or charge while tracking. Yeah. All so. right, so you yeah, you're still cruising with it. All right, that's I mean, because they're making them now. The the you know Sun Two Nine and the Nine and the Coros that la- you know they all last forever. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, everybody's up to their game so much since the nine thirty five, like yeah. more than double the performance. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit of a dirt bag in that <laughs> he broke. Don't fix it. Like yeah, I yeah. just put my gear into the ground. So yeah, at some yeah. point I'll completely shatter this thing and it'll be like, Oh, I guess I have to buy a new one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Hey, if it's working, it's working, man. That's it. Uh, well, um, I guess, uh, what, what else I got? Uh, what do you, what is your go-to for like electrolytes and, and your fuel? Do you have anything that you always go to? Or are you doing real food? What's, what, what, what's getting you there? So I tend to play my food out with, uh, tailwind nutrition has been okay. my go-to because a lot of with the big efforts I do self-supported unsupported it's like how can I have minimum volume for maximum calories yeah. um, and tailwind is a is a great way to do you know maximum calories minimum volume yeah. and then the other thing I'll add on and this is a little trick is I approach food for its psychological benefit beyond that so it's like I know my calories are taken care of with just like the tailwind that I bring on an effort yeah. And then I'll bring along one or two things that I know I'm going to look forward to eating. Huh. Uh, or if I'm doing self-supported, that'll be what's stashed at like the refill point is like some salami or, you know, maybe a certain type of beef jerky I really love, or maybe yeah. it's troop waffle. 
um, like something I know, like, oh, that's going to be something I'm just going to be so stoked to eat. So it's more for like the psychological benefit as opposed yeah. to like, oh, those are calories I have to have. Otherwise right. I don't get to the finish line. And I find when you, when you stage your food like that, you know, you can have that little reward to give yourself. Plus, you know, you're covering all your bases with electrolytes and calories. It's a treat. You got a treat. <laughs> anything anything that breaks up the mental process and and gives you a chance to give yourself a little dopamine reward mentally is going to reduce the perceived effort so yeah yeah Yeah. i didn't didn't think about that because in our races we got eight stations periodically so you've got to do mental gymnastics to keep yourself you know to the next drop or to the next whatever yours is a little heightened on these fkt attempts because there's not an aid station with people ringing cowbells and cheering you on and all that you know you you have to create that for yourself right (laughs) bring your own cowbell i think that's a part that a lot of people don't think of about these these efforts is is that's the other thing you're planning through. It's like, what is it I'm going to be looking forward to when I'm standing at mile 30? Yeah. Uh, that's not going to, that's going to get me to stop thinking about the fact I have 70 miles to go. Like, okay, I'm standing at mile 30. What is it I'm thinking about that, that's motivating me that I'm like, yeah. Oh, I can wait until, you know, and for me, oftentimes it's like, Oh, there's a particular rock climbing move that I'm looking forward to. Like, Oh, that move is so golden. I can't wait till I'm making that move. And so all the miles to run to get there is just like, Oh, I'm just getting to that move. And then I make that move. It's like, sweet, that's done. Now I just got to get up over this thing and then go down here. And then it's whatever that next thing is, right? Or, oh, I've got my stash waiting on the other side. So now I'm looking forward to when I get to have that, you know, know, red wine salami or whatever. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, think about when you get back to racing, if you ever get back to racing, if you you might do FKTs forever. But if you, when you get like, think about the mental advantage you'll have though, because you'll have, you know, what you've been doing plus, you know, just, just the, the boost of the aid stations on top of that, you know, your mental game, I mean, I would think it would be pretty, pretty strong after doing so much of this alone. That's a good point. I hadn't, I had never thought about what it's going to be like going back into racing. Yeah. You'd be like all these people around here. What the heck? It's like, <laughs> Wait, people? What? Yeah, what? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I have to yeah. use words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that'll be interesting. You know, <laughs> Oh. Well, so so um, and, and I know you've probably got your 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 final uh, FKTs planned out pretty much. And uh, what is your kind of time frame on on finishing them up? Because I'll be following along and cheering you on from social media, man. What 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 are you looking at getting done with your hundred and then beyond? All right, so I'm trying to set myself up. I'm kind of working pretty hard, working working overtime, as they say, um, to set myself up to be at 99 when the school year ends in June. Okay. Because I have a really big effort I would like to do as my 100th FKT that involves bagging 100 different peaks. Um, It just (laughs) seemed too perfect for my style and too poetic to do 100 peaks for the 100th FKT. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to set myself up for it. Wow, that's a a big effort, it sounds like. (laughs) It's, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. So I'm super excited for it and I'll talk more about it as it gets closer for sure. Um, but, but yeah, it'll, it'll be a cool contribution, I think, because it's a route that no one has done as a continuous push yet. It has been like, people have kept track of how long it's taken them to do it, 
but yeah. everybody's been like going to and from work as they've yeah. like knocked them out over time. Yeah. So this will be the first time anybody's just dedicated a chunk of time and said, all right, from peak one to peak 100, I'm just going to go. Wow. Um, <laughs> so it'll be, it'll be kind of a cool contribution to, to the FKT community and to the route and to the community of people that are built around just finishing those, those mountains. Um, to do it the honor of like, no, this is worth doing a continuous push on. Um, so it feels, it feels good in a lot of ways to be my hundredth. Um, I like it, man. I like it. And I, I, I could, I see your eyes light up when you're talking about it. Uh, I, I I was sent an email to, uh, an athlete that I coached earlier about, you know, certain races that she wants. And I said, first question, which one of these can you get excited about? And so, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you, you're excited about what you're doing, but you lit up a little extra more talking about that. So I can't wait to, I can't wait to see you crush it, man. (laughs) I, I am very stoked. Like when I finally, cause everybody's been asking, right? Like, Oh, what's your hundreds going to be? Yeah. And I mean, I have, I have notebooks full of different efforts, full of different cool, rad, awesome things that I'd love to go do. And so I'm like, for the longest time, it's just like, well, wherever the weather's good, yeah. um, I'll just yeah, go yeah. There and do one of my dream routes there. But then I came across this thing and it was like, Oh, that's, that's too much my style <laughs> and too poetic. Like that's gotta be it. That's nice. gotta be one. <laughs> nice. Well, Jason, man, I, I can't wait to, to just continue to follow you along. And, um, you know, hey, thanks for inspiring folks. Thanks for taking time, you know, being on the podcast. I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. And um, and I, I just hope people will hear what you're doing and, and that that spark, you know, like, Hey, I, I can do hard things. I can overcome, I can, I can get out and, and, uh, work towards something and be excited about it. You know, that the hard work is worth something. And, and so, man, keep doing what you're doing, man. And just, just thanks for sharing your journey. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Uh, I feel like you got me talking really well. Uh, <laughs> I genuinely hope that we cross paths and maybe who knows, we go on some kind of an adventure together, whether it's a race or, Maybe we think up an FKT that's a perfect blend of our styles. Hey, Whatever. man. I, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love that. Hey, and, and, and I, haven't been to, I haven't been to your neck of the woods yet. I hadn't been up there to, to Oregon area. That's what I'm excited about doing um, Bigfoot 200 because I haven't been there. And so I'm just going to jump in and, and, you know, and so um, – I don't know. You want to come pace me, dude? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if it works out, if it works out, if I'm not out raging on, raging on an FKT, I'll uh, have to come through you, man. That'd be awesome. Uh- all right, well, we'll see. I, I'm I'm not taking away from your FKTs or anything, but, but you know, we'll, <laughs> but but you never know, man. Uh, uh, yeah, I hope our paths cross, and uh, I'd love to love to spend some time on the trail with you. It'd be fun. Absolutely, this All has been right. awesome. Thank you, thank you for taking the time to do this, and thanks for giving a, a voice to people in our community, man. Yeah, oh, thank you, man. I enjoy doing it. I love I love what I do. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Have a good night.